I invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 4, verses 31 through 42 this morning. Uh, if you don't have your Bible with you or a smart device, the text is going to be on the screen for you this morning. Uh, and this morning we're going to be looking at this incredible interaction that Jesus has. Uh, or Hold on, that was last week. Uh, last week we looked at this incredible interaction that Jesus had with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And so what we're going to be looking at this week is the aftermath of that. What happens after such an amazing, wonderful, life-changing encounter like that with Jesus? Last week we looked at how Jesus showed compassion for this woman and revealed to her the sin in her life and offered her this living water. We ended last week looking at how the Samaritan woman was redeemed, dropped everything, and went and shared her testimony with others. She literally left the water bucket that she brought to take up water from the well, left it there, because telling people about what just happened was too important. And as she shares, we see evangelism in full effect. So what is evangelism? As we, as we look at that question this morning, in a basic sense, evangelism is the sharing and spreading of the gospel, the good news. If you look at the Greek word for evangelism, it literally means gospeling. I mean, it's, it's sharing of the good news. We equate evangelism to maybe sharing a testimony or being a good witness, but it's so much more than that. Because being a good witness is good and a testimony is helpful, but sharing the gospel is what is life-changing and transforming. You know, we looked at a video this morning of, of a ministry that, that seeks to to help those who are broken and uh, with, with this, this job core. And, you know, that ministry is great, meeting those needs and building that community. But without the gospel, all it is is just helping to have some sort of club. And it's, it's, it's helping to get someone a job. It's got to go deeper than that. You know, we have all these different ministries that we finance or that we help with or that we volunteer with. But if anything is, is devoid of the gospel then all it is is meeting a physical need. And meeting a physical need only helps in the temporary. It doesn't help in the eternal. And so witnessing and testifying is great, but it needs to have the gospel as central in that. Otherwise, it only goes so far. And this morning, we're going to be looking at three different characteristics of evangelism as we look at this text. And these also serve to be my main points this morning for those who take notes. So the first is, that evangelism is urgent. Evangelism is urgent. The second is evangelism is filled with planting and harvesting. Evangelism is filled with planting and harvesting. And then finally, evangelism is not about you. Evangelism is not about you. John 4, 31-42 says this, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to him, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is, the will, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white with harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. 
Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Man, what an incredible continuation of this woman's story. And when we look at the main point number one in verses 31 through 35, evangelism is urgent. Evangelism is urgent. At the end of this interaction, the disciples, the, the, not the disciples, the disciples return and urge Jesus to eat. And they know he's tired. I mean, this has been a long journey. Jesus went to the well to get water. He's famished. He needs nourishment. And so they go to give Jesus food, but then Jesus tells them that he has food they don't know about, which they take literally. And I find it fascinating that there are so often that we need help for spiritual realities because we often think things in a physical way. Every time Jesus has these interactions with his disciples or with others, he's always having to clarify the spiritual nature of what he's talking about. And so in the same way that, that these individuals need help seeing spiritual realities as we do too. And by God's grace, the Holy Spirit helps us to see and recognize these things. But then Jesus clarifies that his food is to do the will of God. He then ends telling them that there's a harvest ready to be gained. And in this, in this interaction, the disciples are focused on Jesus eating. I mean, they just saw what had happened with this woman. We look at verses 27 through 30. We know that, that they recognize what's going on, but they didn't really say anything about it. And they're trying to urge Jesus to eat. The most important thing to the disciples in this moment is that Jesus gets some food. But Jesus... In this moment, he's energized about what's happening now. This woman who, who was a, a social outcast, who culturally was abandoned, has been redeemed. And she's so excited about what's going on, she's running to tell others about it. And Jesus is like, there's no time to eat. Look at what's happening. This is, for Jesus, an, an exciting and an, an, an amazing thing. There's urgency to how Jesus presents what's happening. He could stop and eat, sure, but he's energized what is happening, and what is happening is far more urgent than the needs of his physical body. Now, this does not mean, hear me out, this does not mean that you need to neglect the needs of your physical body. You need to eat and sleep and drink water. Please do not hear this morning that, oh, if I just do God's will, I'll never have to eat. I'll never need to drink anything. Like, terrible diet plan. Don't do that. We have to remember Jesus is both 100% God and 100% man. And there are many times where Jesus didn't end up needing some of the physical things that, that you and I need to continue on. I mean, think about Jesus fasting in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, being tempted by the devil and, and, and not succumbing to that. Jesus living a sinless life. Jesus being able to heal people and do these incredible physical feats that we ourselves can never do. But the main point here isn't whether or not Jesus needs to stop and eat. The main point is that there's urgency when it comes to sharing the gospel. When it comes to evangelism, it should be urgent to us. It should be urgent to us. Jesus felt that this was so urgent that even though his body was tired and he was hungry, he didn't stop to eat. 
This was, this was something miraculous happening now and, and the time to act was now. And then Jesus tells the disciples that the time to harvest is now. He uses this analogy of, of planting and how when you plant a seed, you wait four months and then the harvest is there and then you could benefit from the fruits of your labor. But Jesus is saying that the harvest is now. That the time to share the gospel is now. That, that it, it's, it's time to act now. Not four months from now. Not three months from now. Not weeks from now. But to, hap- to take action at this moment. So what's happening in this moment? Well, the first is the woman at the well ran and abandoned her water bucket. She, she didn't stop to do anything. She could have easily gone in, grabbed her water, took it back home to her boyfriend, told him about what happened. He probably wouldn't have believed her. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, this, uh, this is not uh, known to us. But instead, here's what happens. She drops everything to go tell people about Jesus. Drops everything. The Samaritans were hearing her testimony. She ran and began to tell others about what she witnessed and what she saw. This social outcast, this this woman who didn't want to be around anybody, now is around everybody, telling them about what just happened. And now the Samaritans were coming to Jesus. Could you imagine seeing all this transpiring right in front of your eyes and just saying, now I'll sit this one out and grab my sandwich real quick. How, how ridiculous is that? No, if you, you're seeing something like this, so amazing, so incredible, the, you, it, the time to act is now. It's time to move forward. There's urgency to these actions. This is not a moment to sit back and wait. And yes, there are definitely opportunities and times where you should plan things, where you should uh, pray, where you should have a sense of direction and priority and what you're doing when it comes to sharing your faith or maybe you're you're meeting with somebody regularly or maybe you are praying for opportunity that's not what this is about it's not about strategy it's about urgency it's about the fact that for us sharing the gospel and sharing our faith should be something that we don't just sit back and wait on it should be something we act on it should be urgent in our lives but why should it be urgent What's so urgent about evangelism? Well, the first is, there's no promise for tomorrow. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised the next hour. Our lives could end at any moment. And yeah, I know that that's not fun to think about. I, listen, I'm, I'm, I, I hate thinking about death sometimes. Like, you know, when Victoria and I first got married, it just bugged me to no end because she would talk about it so freely and so like willy-nilly. And I'm just like, Stop it. I can't. I kind of like to think about it. Like, I, like I, 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 I'm confident in knowing where I'm going to go when, I, when I'm no longer here, but I, it's still it's not fun to think about. But the reality is, death could happen at any moment to any of us. We're not promised tomorrow. Each and every day, each and every breath we have is a gift. That's why this should be urgent for us. Because the eternal condition on so many is is something we can't predict. And although we may not know the hearts of everyone that we share the gospel with, the reality is we are called to make disciples of all nations, to be obedient in sharing the gospel. And there should be urgency to that because the people that we seek to share it with may not be here tomorrow. Now, by God's grace, we... 
their decision and, and their belief in Jesus doesn't ultimately rest on our shoulders. That's, that's on them, and that's on God and His sovereignty. But we have a responsibility to share the gospel and to make it known. And we need to be responsible for what God entrusts us with. The second reason why evangelism would be urgent for us is that the longer we wait, the more excuses we create. Oh, it's all right. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll, I'll do it next week. You know, I've got a Saturday free. I'll do it then. Like, oh, you know, I, I was talking with them and, and they seemed like they were having a really rough day. It didn't really seem like a great opportunity to have that conversation. You know, it, I, I used to pray that God would give me an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. But here's what I began to recognize. I had so many opportunities, but I would just let them waste away. God gives us plenty of opportunities. It's not that we should pray for opportunities. It's that we should pray that we would get over our own insecurities or our own, own fear and take advantage of those opportunities to share. Because the problem is we just, we just let those things glide by. And then afterwards we beat ourselves up like, oh, that would have been a great opportunity to have that conversation. I'll, I'll do it again another time. And then we use the same excuse over and over and over again. And then it becomes habitual and then we never do it the longer we wait the more excuses we create the last reason why evangelism should be urgent for us is because what is urgent is often what is most important to us if our relationship with god is the most important thing with us it is the most important thing to us if if we have truly been redeemed, if this has been a life-changing thing in our, in, in our hearts, shouldn't, shouldn't this be something that, that we should be excited to share with others, that it should be urgent for us to share? I mean, this woman, this was so urgent for her, she left everything to go tell other people. This is the kind of urgency that we should have, church, when it comes to sharing with those who don't know the gospel. My second main point is this. Evangelism is filled with planting and harvesting. Evangelism is, plant, is filled with planting and harvesting. Look at 36 and 38. 36 says this, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap, that for which you did not labor. For others have labored and you've entered into their labor. So anytime we talk about sharing the gospel, we talk about evangelism, there's always this idea of sowing and reaping. I call it planting and harvesting because those words are a little bit easier to understand. And if you ever garden or you've ever grown anything, you're kind of familiar with the process of planting and harvesting. Now I'll be honest with you, I am terrible at it. Absolutely awful. I don't have a green thumb or anything like that. Like, I cannot grow diddly squat. But I understand the process, except for the time I accidentally grew onions because I mowed over the seeds and they spread in our yard. But anyways, and I found out the hard way there were onions because I was mowing and it hurt my eyes. Like, I was crying going down our side, our side, uh, our side yard. But I think we all relatively understand the process of planting, right? And planting... You have to prepare the soil, you plant the seed, you care for the plant until it's time to harvest the fruits of your labor. Now, there are times where things happen to the plants that are outside of your control, like the weather. But for the most part, if you follow that trajectory, you end up with some sort of harvest. And sometimes we like to think of evangelism that way. We think of evangelism in the same way you think of planting and growing something. 
If we share the gospel, plant the seed the right way and use the right words, and all, all of a sudden, presto, we've got a Christian. That's not how it works. Because it's not all on us. It's on, it's on the Holy Spirit. It's on, on, on the heart of the individual for them to believe. It's not our responsibility to save them. We can't save them. Only God can. With evangelism, we're called to share the gospel. However, we may not see the fruit of our labor. We may not harvest from the care and work that we've had on the lives we seek to impact. But it's not our jobs to to harvest. It's not our jobs to be the ones to benefit from the fruit of that. It's not, you know, it's not our storehouse that we are filling up. It's the kingdom of God's. It's God's storehouse. It's His fruit. You might be planting a seed in someone's life or you may be another person they hear the gospel from. Or you might be the one who finally helps them see clearly their need for Christ and they actually become changed. Right? You could be any one of those roles, but we're not supposed to seek one over the other. It's all dependent on the Spirit's work in their life. You know, some of y'all know that I, I was in student ministry for like 10 years, on and off in different capacities. And my life as a student pastor was marked by investing but not seeing the fruit i mean that was really the marker of my life because it would be i would invest in these kids while they were in middle school and high school i'd pray for them i'd teach them i'd i'd help to mold them i'd get them in small groups get them in communities all this other stuff but then after they graduated often i never saw them again they would move off and go to school somewhere especially when i lived in warren because a lot of them would go to school somewhere else or out of town or uh, get involved in another ministry And then it wouldn't be until later that I find out that work that we had done in our ministry began to bear fruit. And some of them entered into ministry. Some of them became faithful in their walk with the Lord and returned back to church. Now the statistic is every two out of ten students stay involved in church after they get done uh, with their time in youth group. But, you know, the reality is I knew that in my job I would probably not see the, the biggest fruit of my labor. But you know what? That's okay. That's not what I was called to. I was called to be obedient and faithful where God had me there and then. But see, what's happening here is that Jesus is giving this picture that they're in a season where sowing and reaping are happening at the same time. That seeds are being planted and people are also being harvested. They, they, are, they are becoming Christians. John the Baptist can be seen as somebody who is sowing while Jesus is reaping. And this is happening at the same time. From John's work in sharing with them the coming kingdom of God. And then in verse 37, Jesus actually calls back to the words of Amos, in which Amos described a season like this when the Messiah is walking among us, where sowing and reaping happen at the same time. And then in verse 38, he says this, that the disciples are entering into the labor of others. What did he mean by that? What does he mean by the disciples are entering into the labors of others? For generations, prophets and many others have called on God's people to repent and believe, to turn from their sin, and to turn to God. There have been lineages of people that have labored in this work for generations and generations. For you and I, there have been people that have labored in the work of evangelism for generations and generations. We think about, you know, people like Lottie Moon. We think about people like Billy Graham. People that have done incredible evangelical work. And we are still seeing the fruits of their labor today well past their passing. 
And now the disciples get to continue in their labor and be a part of this evangelism work. For you and I, this means that we have a role to play. We may plant or we may harvest, but our goal is to not aspire one or the other, but to be obedient and faithful in sharing the gospel. Whatever role God has for you in that step, whatever role God has for you in that planting or harvesting, you are to be faithful, to share and to trust God with the rest. The last point this morning is that evangelism is not about you. Evangelism is not about you. Verses 39 through 42 close it with this. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of this word. They said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. When this Samaritan woman went to share her testimony, who was her focus? Was her focus on herself or her own actions? Does she say, look at who I am now. Look at what I've done. Look at all this self-care work that I've done to be a better person, to make life changes, to do things differently. No. Her focus was on Jesus. Look at this man who told me all that I could ever do. Could he be the Messiah? Her testimony, her witnessing had nothing to do with her but everything to do with Jesus. Her testimony was a witness to what Jesus had done, but then Jesus himself was able to directly speak to them. Ultimately, it was the actions of Jesus and the gospel itself that caused the Samaritans to believe. It wasn't just this woman's testimony. It wasn't just the words that she said. It was the words of Jesus. In her efforts to share the gospel, Jesus was center stage. And we too must, take, must make Jesus center in our own evangelism. When it comes to sharing our own faith, Jesus needs to be central, not ourselves. When I think about a testimony, for example, I think sometimes we get into this temptation to make testimonies about how we dug ourselves out of a dark pit and we reigned victorious and we, and we had God's help a little bit on the way. But that's not a testimony. That's just us saying how awesome we are. And by biblical definitions, we're not very awesome. So when I think of a testimony, and when you think of a testimony, I mean, you've heard some good ones up here, but here's the way that I would encourage you to structure it. If you are in a, in a position where you get to share your story, to share your testimony with somebody, this is the way that it should be structured. The first is you should share with them who you were before Christ. What kind of person were you before you met Jesus? How were you different? What was different about you? Now, that may not be this super tragic, different thing. For example, my, my wife was around my son's age whenever she became a Christian. And so there was wickedness in her, but it may not have been to the same degree or at least to the way that it was displayed in actions as it is now, maybe as adults or teenagers. Like I know for me, I was prideful and arrogant. I didn't think I needed Jesus. And then he changed that in me both physically in brokenness and spiritually. You share who you were before Christ, and then you share how you met Christ. What happened in your life that caused you to change? What happened in your life that caused you to be softened to the gospel, to truly begin to hear this good news, this message, to receive it? And then next, share the gospel. 
when you're sharing your testimony, share the gospel. Share that in the beginning, God created man and created everything good, but then we soiled that. We sinned against God. We broke that relationship. And we spent generations trying to mend that with the things of this world, but we could never mend the brokenness that was in us. But God, in His infinite mercy and love for us, sent His Son, Jesus, to live a perfect life that we can never live, to die on the cross for our sins, and that He was resurrected. And it was through His death and resurrection that we have a chance at eternal life to have that relationship mended in Him. And all the Bible teaches, or all, all that we are asked to do is to confess with our mouth that He is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead and that we are saved. And it's through salvation that we are given the Holy Spirit, that we are redeemed, and that we are transformed into the image of Christ. That's the gospel. That's the good news. It has nothing to do with our actions, but everything to do with Jesus. And then lastly, share who you are now because of Christ. Share how you've been changed. I remember taking a, a students to Estes Park, Colorado for a church camp, and uh, the speaker there at the time uh, said something that I thought was an incredible way to phrase it was if you claim to be a Christian but there's absolutely no change in your life from before you were a Christian to now the question is is Jesus really there? Is Jesus truly dwelling in you? Is the Holy Spirit truly dwelling in your heart? Because when the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts and we truly become a Christian, we begin to change. That change may be slow. It may be hard. And we still continue to be imperfect, but that change is there. And it happens. Because the Spirit doesn't let go of us. It seeks to draw us to Himself. Now, if we aren't careful, sometimes we make our stories more about ourselves than we do Jesus. But the reality is, church, we can't save anybody with our stories. No one comes to repentance and faith by our actions alone. If that was true, self-help books and TED Talks would be doing great to save souls, but they don't. Only Jesus can truly transform our hearts. What people need is the gospel. Our stories and roles should be about pointing people to the gospel. I'm going to close with this. Martin Luther described our role very well when it comes to evangelism. We are just a beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We are just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. That's our role. That's evangelism. It's not fancy words. It's not prime opportunities. It's not heart-wrenching, tear-jerking stories. It's the good news of the gospel. It is being faithful to what God has called us to do, to share our faith and to trust Him with the rest. We are simply broken people that have been redeemed that seek to help other broken people be redeemed too. That is evangelism. Will you pray with me as we have our time of invitation? Lord, I thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. Father, we just pray that you would help us to share our faith diligently and faithfully. God, we pray that the Spirit would work on our lives, God, to teach us, to grow us, and to mold us into your image. Lord, we just pray that you would give us opportunity to share, Father, that we would not 
skirt over opportunities to share. Father, that we would recognize those moments and faithfully share. God, we may not know the results of it. God, we may not know what you're going to do with it. Statistics say that people hear the gospel about seven times before they ever come to know Jesus as Savior. But even then, Father, sometimes people's hearts remain hardened. God, we pray that we would trust you with our evangelism efforts. God, I pray that you would help us to reach the lost. God, we pray for this church. We pray this church would grow. God, this church only grows when lost people come to know you. So God, help us to be a church that practices evangelism well. God, help us to be a church that reaches out to the community. God, help us to be a church that is welcoming, that is loving, that is caring, that is compassionate. God, that treats the gospel as urgent. And God, I pray that you would help us to practice that in our own personal lives. God, that we would not just surround ourselves with other Christians, God, or put ourselves in comfortable positions, but God, that we would seek to truly care for other people. And God, that we would share the kind of change and the kind of redemption, the kind of love that you've given every one of us. So Father, I pray for our time of invitation, God. For anyone in this room, that God, that may not know you, Father, maybe after hearing an outline of a testimony or God, hearing the gospel, God, maybe maybe in that they've, they've realized they've never truly trusted you. Or God, maybe we have people in this room, Father, that, that do trust you, but Father, maybe they just haven't seen the fruit of that relationship in a long time. Or God, maybe they're just in a hard season right now, Father, where they, they're seeking to make changes in their lives, God, or maybe they're seeking to grow closer to you, God, and they are seeking you out and they want to do more, but God, they don't know where to start. Father, I pray that you would be with them this morning, God. And during this time of invitation and response, God, that they would pray to you. And God, if they feel led to come up front and to pray with me or God, to seek one of us afterwards, Father, I pray that they would do so. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your son. It's his holy and precious name we pray. Amen.